Alright everyone, welcome back. A few weeks ago, we asked what type of questions you would want answered when we got to talk to a farrier, and we have those answers. Kayla got to sit down with her farrier, Cody Morgan, of CM Equine Services to discuss all things horseshoeing, from what to look for when balancing a foot, types of shoes, pads, nails, and how you can be the best client for your farrier. Before we get started, please remember, this is a short podcast, and although we like to tackle real subjects, please consult with a veterinarian or a farrier about your horse's needs. This week's episode is brought to you by Magic Cushion. Don't let this ride stop your next. Magic Cushion quickly reduces hoof heat and soreness while providing cushioning relief, and it works for up to 24 hours so that your horse stays comfortable every day. Learn more about Magic Cushion at Absorbine.com. A-B-S-O-R-B-I-N-E.com. All right, Cody, it's your turn. This is The Money Barrel. One of the episodes that I've always wanted to do is one with a horseshoer because we all know that without a good foot, you don't have a horse. So after a day of shoeing my herd, I have my shoer here, Cody Morgan, and we just figured we would go over kind of all things horseshoeing. We had made a post and I had asked people to throw up their questions and we had a great response on what you guys wanted to hear from. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background and when you got into shoeing to start. Um, I got into shoeing because of a guy named Mark Mendenhall. He was shoeing my mom's horses. And he apprenticed for a guy at the time named Melvin Reynolds. And I was like 16 years old, somewhere in there. And I needed a job, and Melvin was looking for an apprentice. So I went with Mark and Melvin, and it's pretty much my first job, and never looked back. Never quit? The only job? Only job. You've had. Um, How was it? We've talked about it a little bit, and we'll just dive in. But you learned how to shoe through apprenticing and working with people versus like going to a shoeing school. So kind of how did you learn how to get into it, and what do you think the difference between that? Well, with an apprenticeship, I feel like it worked out really well because it's not a set amount of time that you go into it. Like with a school, you're set up for, I think most of those courses are six weeks or eight weeks, and there's only so much a guy can learn in that period of time. And it really limits to how much how much they could show you and like how much you could help a horse out without getting yourself into a bind. But if, if you go to an apprenticeship and, you know, maybe everybody learns at a different pace, so maybe you'd apprentice for eight years or four years or, you know, whatever whatever you need to do. But that in an apprenticeship, it'll allow you to, you know, crawl under a lot of horses as opposed to in a school you might crawl under three or four during that whole six-week or eight-week course. So it just gives you a lot more hands-on opportunities, and I don't know. I think it worked out a lot better. But. And then you're just kind of like thrown out to your own. Yeah. You know, now you work with Mark still, Melvin still, and other shoers if you run into problems. Yeah. And you have your apprentice, Daniel, here yep. with you today. Um, and so you just start finishing feet and then just kind of work your way work up. Your way up. Mm-hmm. And then how long did you apprentice before you kind of started on your own? Uh, it was about... 
four years I apprenticed solid. And then like the fifth year, Melvin would kick me a couple of days to myself to get my own horses shod. And then it was about about like the fifth year I was kind of getting sour about going to work every day for Melvin. And I don't know. I really wanted to go out on my own. Not because I didn't like working for Melvin. I just really wanted to go out and shoe horses, you know. So nowadays you have a full book and you're on your own. What's your main clientele? Obviously, I barrel race, so you do some barrel racers. But what's kind of your your main set that you work on? Well, ideally it'd just be barrel racers, but <laughs> no. Uh, I shoot a lot of jumping horses and a lot of cow horses. That's the majority of it. Well, our listeners are barrel racers for the most part, so we'll kind of focus more on the barrel racing side of things. But one of the first questions that we got, which I thought was a pretty good one to get started on, is from a farrier's point of view, describe what to look for when evaluating a horse with like naturally good conformation of foot and lower leg anatomy. Basically like angle, size of feet, if you had like the perfect foot, what you would look for, kind of like a pre-purchase of a foot, but from your standpoint, not from a vet's. Ideally, you'd like to have a horse that has straight conformation, like the limb comes straight down with the foot and the foot is underneath the limb. But as far as how big of a a foot a horse needs to have, as long as it's in proportion, that's great, but I don't get too worked up about a horse that has small feet, as long as it's a, a stout foot in a sense. If you're looking to like buy a horse, are there issues that are more easily managed? Or like if you see one that like, you know, toed in, pigeon toed, you know, whatever like that, stuff you're like, no, stray away from. Yeah. So like I said before, a horse that's straight is obviously ideal. But if you're going to go one way or the other, like a horse that toes in or toes out, as a rule of thumb, a horse that toes in is going to stay sounder way longer than a horse that toes out. Maybe even more like a, a horse that toes in will even stay sounder longer than a horse that's perfect confirmation. It like as a rule of thumb. Now there's always exceptions to that, but um, it just always seems to work out a lot better that way. And then what about like the angles of the foot? Is there a lot of is that more like because of trimming from the start, or is that kind of more like genetically happened and you have to deal with that like? the underslung heels and stuff like that. Because obviously we've dealt with that with my horses, but it's been a lot more easily managed with the trimming. Than... It, that, both management and breeding plays a role in that, but it's it's hard to say without looking at the horse specifically that you were talking about. You know, But I'd say as a rule, it would be more just breeding that would cause horses to be like underslung in the heel but a, a lot of guys they'll have problems with uh not getting their toes backed up enough mm-hmm. and when your toe gets run out that like that toe will drag that heel with it forward and then especially people in the barrel racing world they'll uh, fit those heels really tight because they don't want them to jerk off a shoe which is understandable because the shoe doesn't do very much good when it's not on the foot but you still have to support the back half of that foot. Otherwise, when you fit that shoe forward, there's nothing supporting that limb from breaking down. Like, your passengers get real broke down. And but Why do you think a lot of shoers don't want to take the, the toe back? Well, 
that kind of goes back to our first question of being in school. That's kind of what they teach you in school because it keeps a lot of guys out of wrecks. If you lop all that toe off and set your shoe back and get that toe really backed up and support your heels, if you don't know how to shape a shoe, then it's really hard not to stick that horse with a nail. Because if you fit it too tight, then you're gonna you're more susceptible to sticking it with a nail. Or if you don't know how to shape your shoe properly to the foot, like you know, say one's really wide in the quarter, then you need to open up that toe and then turn those heels, and they'll they'll stick them with that heel nail, especially if they set that shoe back. Or if they really want to set like like drive toenails, and you set that shoe back a lot, you stick them with that toenail. But it's just it's all just because they. I don't want to say lack the knowledge, but they they just don't know any different. And if you uh, if you get yourself in a wreck once, it'll kind of shy you off of tap, chopping that toe off a little bit, you know. Because you'll see it when you go to a race or something like that, like horses with just like really long toes. Yeah. Mine had that when you started coming here, yeah. like, and then that caused a lot of other issues. Mm-hmm. And I I also realized that because now mine have more shoe. I, at first, I was like, these are going to be pulled. Yeah. <laughs> But what, well, I guess, why is that kind of more of a myth that like shoeing them tightly reduces the chance of pulling versus like shoeing them more balanced in the toe back? Well, if if you fit your shoe to the back half of that foot, like if, if you always fit your heels, you're always going to be, your shoes going to be shaped properly if that's what you worry about. Like if you worry about shaping that toe, your, your, uh, your toe of your shoe to the toe of the foot, then you're going to have your toes run out and everything. But if you worry about shaping that shoe to support your heels, then your toes going to come out perfect every time. When you fit a horse tight, and maybe maybe that horse is really offset in that pasture, and you need to, say, like support that pasture to the inside, then you need to fit it full. Otherwise, that horse is going to fall in really bad, and it's going to affect the way he travels. So, like, maybe he'll cross over a lot more or, you know. Yeah. And that, with how it affects it, the way it travels, maybe it, it'll grab that shoe. Rather than if you support that inside and it won't be able to break over that way, then it kind of keeps them in line, traveling in line. So that would be a good conversation for somebody to have with their shoer. If you're yanking shoes or anything, is not so much, let's fit them tighter so they can't pull it, but like what's causing them yeah. to pull it. Yeah. Another question kind of following in line with that is like, as far as proper angles go and how to get a foot balanced that not that may not be at that moment, like what do angles have to do with like lameness? Or if somebody wants to look at their horse and kind of see, you know, is the toe really long or is the angles off? Like what would somebody look for and what's what do you look for? I, well... When I come up on a horse that maybe I haven't shot before, I would, for one, watch it trot and see how that foot lands. Because that, I would say, that plays the majority of the role in lameness, would be that foot landing flat. That and your palm angle, but... um, So just watch it trot in a straight line away from you and back and see how those feet are landing. If they're landing hard outside, that's really... that's. If you want to air one way or the other, you want your horse to land maybe a tick hard inside, just for a rule of thumb for keeping a horse down. But what I mean, does that do when they land on the outside? It, it's just a lot of stress on their their tendons. But especially when a horse, well, we're talking about barrel horses, so 
when they come around that barrel on that inside foot, if it's if it's high outside, then it hangs them up through that turn, and like they're not they're not going to be able to get around as good. Mm-hmm. And it uh, especially with flare too. Yeah, I mean it'll it'll hang them up good. But if they're and and that's why you say like if they were to tick high inside, then they'll be able to get around themselves a lot better because that foot will be able to break over to that outside. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. And, like, what do you see when you do get a horse like that? I mean, does it take you a couple shoeings to get them into shape? Or are there certain things that you're like, we're just going to correct right now? Um, Typically, I'd, I'd try and do as much as I could get away with right off the bat just to nip it in the bud. But you can only you can only get a horse so short before you run into some problems, you know? So you do kind of have to do it in increments depending on how bad it is. And what do you think as far as, like, staying on a schedule with your shoer and, like, that importance plays into having a balanced foot? It plays a a big role in having a balanced foot, but also, especially with barrel racers, like, maybe they have a a race to go to that weekend and their horse is at eight weeks and it just threw a shoe. Like, maybe you should have got shot at six weeks and you wouldn't have been in that predicament. Because, you know, shoes only stay on for so long. But... Um, it's definitely a lot easier to keep a horse, a horse's foot gathered up a lot better if you keep them on a schedule. And, you know, that's not to say you have to chew every horse at six weeks. Some of them can go eight weeks if, depending on how much they grow. Because there are horses that don't grow a lot of foot and there's horses that grow a lot, you know? Ideally six weeks. Ideal, as a rule. As a rule. We see you every six weeks. What can an owner do to, like... I guess, help take care of their horse's feet to make your job easier as well as, like, help maintain their horses during that time? Just pick your horse's feet every once in a while. It's really not that... There's not a whole lot you can do. Depending on... I mean, if you have a horse that's really hard-footed or, like, wants to crack a lot, you could paint it with that Rainmaker or something every once in a while. But that's about all a guy can ask for. Just pick your feet every once in a while. Rubber velvets. Sometimes. Ooh, yeah, bell boots are nice if you turn them out in the field. Yeah. Rubber bell boots. Yeah. Make sure you get them in a size large enough that they touch the ground so they actually protect the back yeah. of the shoes. Mm-hmm. And that helps a little bit. I've had to invest in those. Yeah. Probably should have fit them tighter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit. An unbalanced foot is what will make or break it, but... Why do you think so many people struggle to keep horses sound foot related? Is it because lack of balance? Is it because they go too long? Like what's kind of more the more common issues you see when you go to new barns? I've that's oof. I don't I mean I I'd I'd say mostly around around my area I'd say leaving your toes too long would be the biggest deal. And like that, I'm not even talking about just from the bottom of the foot, because you can only take so much foot off from the bottom, but if you really broaden that shoe and set your toe back, then or set that shoe back and bring that toe back, then uh, you keep yourself out of a lot of wrecks. And when it comes to shoeing barrel horses, we've kind of talked about it. I think all of mine have different types of shoes on them. So... What do you kind of go towards when you shoe a barrel horse, and what do you stay away from? Well, 
ideally, I'd like to keep all my barrel horses in a Blackensop up front, which is, it's partially a rim shoe, but, and I'd only put it on the front feet, but in the, throughout the toe, it has early breakover. It's kind of half, it's rounded off a little bit in the front of the, the shoe just to, you know, speed up that breakover, but. Define breakover. If some some of our listeners don't know what that is, breakover is how fast that foot's going to come up. Okay. So, like, if you have a horse that's toes are really run out, it's going to break over a lot slower. If you have a horse that maybe is set back too much, it's going to break over really fast, and that's bad too, because then they they start trotting really choppy and jab that toe into the ground, and uh, so there's definitely a happy medium. So you put the shoe, and we'll post a picture of the shoe on our show notes um but you put those up front and then what do you do on the hinds hinds i like to keep a narrow shoe on them not like the web of the shoe would be more narrow so i'd use something like a a ssp or something like that but i won't use rim shoes on a barrel horse behind so explain that because I know some people say you have to use rims that's the only way to stand up on rodeo ground or you know some people that are like absolutely not because it destroys their hawk so kind of as a shoer's point of view why do you stay away from those well mainly because it tears the I mean it tears up those hawks especially if you're on ground that's a little bit harder and because if you watch most I will say most horses travel I'm not going to say all, but like even watching them trot in a straight line, when they leave the ground, like that hind foot's going to want to twist off. And if, they, if they're if they not able to do that, it's almost like like you trying to jog without moving, mm-hmm. your, you know, letting your feet slide. It's going to really torque your knees. Yeah, if you watch them from behind, you can almost see all the horses kind of twist yeah. as they walk. And that, I'm not... Like, that is a good thing. You can't get in the yeah. way of that because all that torque, it's got to go somewhere and it's going to go up to their hawks. So that's that's the main reason why a guy should, I, I feel like, should stay away from rim shoes. I know a lot of people get along with them good, but I try not to use them. And then the other reason, like, a lot of those barrel horses, if they get hung up too, too much behind coming into a barrel, like, they'll really dump that inside shoulder into that barrel rather than just coming around smooth and I'm not swinging their butt out, but being able to come up off of it rather than getting stuck in the ground and then just dumping that shoulder. Makes sense. Um, and then when you use like clips or toe clips or anything extra like that, when does that come into play when you're shoeing? Uh, clips I, I typically just use on jumpers but there are definitely some big bodied horses that a guy should put clips on that you know are in the barrel barrel racing world but usually if it, if it's just a big horse that's really hard on its feet and wants to like slide that shoe around throughout the shoeing I put clips on there maybe if if the horse is jamming that shoe back then you put a toe clip on or if it wants to shift it one one side or the other, then you put a quarter clips on. But sometimes you got to be careful with those quarter clips. If the horse doesn't have great walls, then those quarter clips will work against you. And what if um, <clears throat> people want to use like aluminum shoes? When do you crack those out versus just stay with the good old tried and true ones? Uh, well, it depends on if uh, 
it's just what the person wants to use or if it's what's best for the horse because that kind of happens quite frequently typically i if if you have a horse that's a really good mover you know and you want to put them in aluminum and it has stout enough feet to handle aluminum like that that's fine but a horse that already has crappy feet like maybe shelly walls or thin sold you don't want to be putting aluminum on it because aluminum flexes so much that it it doesn't offer the support that that foot's going to need if you have a horse that is really good footed put aluminum on it all you want it doesn't matter but if you have something that needs a little bit of help aluminum is not the answer in aluminum i'm assuming that you would have to shoe more frequently because they wear through it i've only had aluminum on once or twice clearly it didn't go well but they wore through it so much faster yeah it depends on your footing or how much you're riding them a lot of horses that i shoe that are in aluminum shoes they could go six weeks but definitely if the footing you're riding them in is abrasive then you might have to shorten it by a week or two and then when you start putting shoes on horses, you know, when they're two or three, depending on when they need them, if people want to not put hind shoes on and just do front shoes, like kind of why would you do something like that? Oh, I, I think that's great. Leave them barefoot behind as long as you can, as long as you can get away with it. There's no reason to, I mean, if you could get away without putting shoes on a horse up front or behind, you're, it's great. Because, you know, for one, it's less money that you have to spend. For two, it's, you know, it's just, you're better off. Because if you could get away with it, well, like, why not? Yeah. Because I've seen girls that run with, you know, front shoes on but not hind shoes. Yeah. And they seem to be just fine if the foot can hold up to it. Yeah, right. Exactly. But if you're beating your head against the wall and the... <laughs> the horse isn't going good because maybe it's tender footed behind or where like just throw some hind shoes on it and be done with it it's not worth donating every weekend we want to take a quick break to bring you a message from our sponsor magic cushion magic cushions hoof packing is proven to provide fast soothing relief for overworked overheated hooves Magic Cushion helps relieve symptoms associated with hoof concussion and trauma. It calms soles and frog inflammation and soreness. And it starts working to reduce hoof heat within one hour. Magic Cushion is trusted by top farriers, plus it uses natural ingredients. Magic Cushion can be used for hoof relief after training or competition, and it lasts for up to 24 hours. Magic Cushion can be packed under a shoe and pad and left in place through the shoeing cycle. For fast-acting and long-lasting hoof relief, choose Magic Cushion. Learn more about Magic Cushion at Absorbine.com. A-B-S-O-R-B-I-N-E.com. Other common things that are used are like pads on horses. So when do you put pads on a horse? And I guess what are some different types of pads that you put on? Um... There's, that's a very big question because there's all sorts of different pads. There's all sorts of different pads that you'd use in different situations. Give us some examples. Run with it. I don't know even the right questions to ask for this. So this is your expertise. So I guess we just go basic with it. If you have a horse that's maybe thin sold and whenever you take it out in 
you know, walking in across the parking lot and it's rocky and then it gets really tender-footed and ouchy, then I'd throw, like, a, a flat impact pad on it, which would be, it's just concussion protection. It's a plastic pad that's flat and you could put, like, dental impression under there or, uh, oh, what's, uh, yeah, you could put dental impression under there, but it's just added cushion. And then when do you use, like, a spider pad or a wedge pad? A spider pad would be really good for a horse that that bony column dropped and the knees don't line up, or if you have a horse with a quarter crack. But it really helps support the middle of that foot and get the weight off of either the heels or the wall because it disperses that weight throughout the whole foot rather than just around the rim of it or your wall like you would with a regular shoe. And then it will really help that, that bony column get pushed up and it could help align your knees or maybe if you have a quarter crack, you could float that and it won't let that quarter crack settle back down onto the shoe so you don't have so much pressure on the wall. And wedge pads would just be used for, well, there's a lot of different reasons to use a wedge pad, I guess, but one of them is just if, if you have a horse that's maybe you know, a little bit rocked back or needs to be stood up more. But, and those could definitely be used wrong. And if you use them wrong, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. You might as well just leave the stinking thing barefoot. <laughs> because if if you don't trim that toe and you put a wedge pad on, you're al- almost putting more leverage to break those heels down. It, okay, makes sense. Because everything is run out in front of it. And you just wedge up that that foot with everything out there, and all that weight is coming down on those heels even more. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, like one of one of the questions one of our listeners asked was that you know she says that her mare has to have a wedge with frog support due to poor angles for so long, and she just didn't know like when you start using pads, is that something with the right shoeing over time you can kind of work yourself out of? Or once you kind of find that it fits, is that just something that that horse is in forever? Well, it depends on the horse and the shoeing. Uh, I would say if you want to permanently fix a horse that, or you want to attempt to permanently fix a horse that has a problem like that, then I'd be more apt to use like a spider pad on it because it, instead of putting a Band-Aid on the problem, which would be putting a wedge pad on it and getting that palmer angle up, you would be, with a spider pad, you'd be dispersing that weight across the middle of that foot and pushing that bony column up, and which allows your heels to come up, and then your palmer angle comes up. And then over time, you might be able to get that horse out of that spider pad. But with with a frog support wedge pad, it's kind of hard to get ahead of the game because the more weight that you put on those heels, the more you're going to be crushing them, in a sense. Instead of alleviating that weight and letting that heel come up on its own, you're just forcing it up, especially with the wrong fit. And so, and so, like Stella has plastic pads on, but there's also leather pads and different things. So, when do you pick just based on what they need, or like what's the leather pad good for versus the plastic pads? Well, the leather pad is going to be a lot less abrasive toward the foot because over the course of the shoeing you're going to have 
friction in between that pad and that foot. And it'll allow, the leather pad will allow that foot to work into the pad over time. Okay. Rather than like that plastic one, it doesn't have much give. But if you need to have a horse that really needs to be wedged up or something like that, then you know that over the course of time, it's not going to break down on you like the, as, as the leather pad would. But the plastic pad, the pro to it would be, it's a lot more concussion relieving. Okay. That makes sense. Are there any products that you recommend for barrel racers or just in general that you believe truly help or supplements, anything like that? Or is it more just like proper shoeing, proper hoof care that will go further in the end? Um, I don't know. As far as hoof supplements go, I'd probably say hoof power is really good. Um, but as far as just maintenance for your horse, a lot of people get really shy to get their horses injected, which I'm not going to go in too much depth as to why. But, yeah, just get your horse maintained. Like, maybe not just see the chiropractor, maybe look into getting your horse's hocks, stifles, coffin joints, especially if you have one that's really hop- offset in the past, or just, like, get your coffin joints injected. When, when you deal with soundness, and I know you don't like this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Like, as far as difficult cases you've had and had to work on, like, give us some examples. Like, quarter cracks or soundness issues that you've had to balance. Um, What are some of the more challenging ones that have taught you the most? You can use Stella for an example. You can go into shoeing Stella if you would like. Well, I really like shoeing horses that have had quarter cracks. Or have a quarter crack from maybe bad shoeing. And then they get turned on to me, however, and I have to be the one that fix it. I, I really enjoy it. Because it's almost like, I don't know, this is probably a poor analogy, but when you see a quarter crack grow out and like just the, the overall process of it, it I don't, it's just very enjoyable. What starts a quarter crack like how why do horses quarter crack and what do you do to fix it well there's a couple different things that would cause a quarter crack it would mostly what you'd see is poor trimming like maybe the horse is really high outside or high inside and all that weight has to go somewhere and it's going to go up and the quarter crack's going to start at the hairline a lot of people think or they get all scared that their horse has a quarter crack and it's at the bottom of the foot, and it's in the quarter, but actually it's just from, I don't like dirt working in there or just flaring out. But anyway, that's not a quarter crack. Um, so that would be one thing that would cause a quarter crack. Or another thing that would cause a quarter crack is if your horseshoe fits his shoe really far forward. And like I was saying before with the wedge pads, um... If you have all that weight at the back half of that foot, it's going to mash your heels down. But if you have a horse that's more susceptible to a quarter crack, with all that weight going upward, it, it's going to blow a quarter crack, you know? So that's that's just a couple of ways that you could get a quarter crack. And then what do you do to get them to help them grow out and hopefully not reoccur? As a rule of thumb, like protocol would be 
obviously make sure your your toes backed up and not run out because that causes a lot more pressure in the back half of that foot but uh put a put a spider pad on there that's a really good prevent preventative measure or you could put like a heart bar on there just because it disperses the weight throughout the whole foot and then you could uh float that quarter and with that shoe being stout like not having any flex to it it won't let that quarter settle over time because if you just put like a regular shoe on it then with when that shoe flexes it'll let that quarter settle back down but you'd float that quarter and what i mean by that is once you trim the foot and you have a level plane on it where that quarter crack is you would dip that out if that makes sense yeah you rasp it a little bit more right under where the crack is so it doesn't always come into contact with the shoe right right because you're trying to alleviate that pressure because that's what caused it to pop up there at the hairline anyway is that pressure that's the only way to get rid of it and then i'd open it up and depending on how bad it is or deep or if it bled or not i would either lace it or lace it and patch it or patch it but you got to be careful with patching it right off the bat especially if it bled because you could get get it infected so you have to let it dry out first before you patch it but and lacing it is when you put little screws on the side right and then use wire to yeah lace it if somebody hasn't seen that before yeah you drill two holes on each side of the crack and then you run wire through it and then you twist your wire together in the middle where that crack is and it, it holds that foot together kind of prize the crack together. What about abscesses? Abscesses are something when people are going down the road, they get, what can people do to help them or you know, get rid of them if their horse like constantly abscesses? Is that when you would do pads because it's bruises? Or what do you do when you run into an abscess type situation? Um, well, First and foremost, I typically would not recommend calling a vet, depending on who your vet is. I Because, obviously, I don't know every vet. But, as a rule of thumb, they kind of like to be the hero in some cases, and they'll go to gutting it out where they think it might be. And then they might get that abscess to drain, but then you have the problem of your horse being tender-footed to deal with after the fact of the abscess draining. So... But that's not to say that a horseshoe wouldn't do the same. So, I, I, I don't know. Just try and... I would... I don't like to go digging for them too much. Because then you have that... You make a problem that could be two days long into two or three weeks long. So, what I'd like to do is just hoof test it. See where, where it might be. And maybe knife around a little bit. And if you don't think that it's at the surface enough to get it to drain right then and there. Just pack that foot and... What do you pack it with? Uh, Epsom salt or mag paste. Give it butte for a couple days and usually problem solved. It's not that big of a deal. And depending on how bad it is or close to the wall, you might pull the shoe. Does something cause horses to abscess more often? Like wet ground or bruises or kind of what's like the main cause for abscesses? Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of it around here with... Other horseshoers, I feel like they get horses to abscess a lot from them hitting hard on the ground from one way or the other. That concussion will cause them to abscess on that side. Like, if you have a horse that hits really hard outside, he might always get an abscess on the outside heel. Random question, 
and this totally goes out of order, but different type of nails, like I've seen people po make posts about copper nails or just regular nails. Do nails really make a difference in what you're doing? Or why would you use different nails for that type of situation? Um, there, obviously everybody's heard about the copper nails that came out, I think, but I used them for a long time and I liked them. I don't know if I bought into the gimmick too much about it of increasing blood flow, but I appreciated the idea of it, I guess, diluting the possibility of them having anaerobic bacteria in that foot, like white line or, and I, I used them for a long time, but the reason why I quit using them is because they didn't seem as stout through a six-week period of time. Like, I would come back and maybe have one nail left in the foot after I lose or after I pull the shoe. And so I just went back to steel because the the pros and cons weren't really adding up. Yeah, I didn't really know. I've, I've seen them before, but I didn't really know what the purpose was yeah. behind them. Um. We talked about like supplements a little bit, but as far as like if like stopping problems like thrush or white line, are there products that people could use for something like that? Yeah, the thrush just pick your horse's feet every day, depending on how bad it is, and uh, just pour some thrush buster on there, or, you know whatever whatever flavor you like. But as far as white line goes, there's a really good product out there called Clean Tracks. And that works really good. And, uh, but you have to, if, depending on how bad the white line is, you'd have to have your horseshoe or vet open up that area because it's an anaerobic bacteria, which means the only thing that could kill it is air. And whenever that air is blocked off, that's when it really seems to grow. But that's what works so good about that clean tracks is it's a gas that works up through that foot. You put a bag on there and you gas that foot. But then once after you're done doing that, you know, you could open it back, take that bag off and it's opened up again and it's not, you're not sealing it off. But that's why pe so many people have troubles <clears throat> with patching the CD toe after they cut it all out because maybe they left a little bit in there and then they run that patch over it and that's when it really takes off on you. Yeah, the infection just yeah. blows up after that. Yeah, because there's there's no air to kill that bacteria off it may look better but it'll end up being worse in the end mm -hmm. i mean there's so much to shoeing and i know that in the end it comes down to an individual horse like the most important thing is a balanced foot which you have i think horse owners and i've lived this have to really try to educate themselves on what a true balanced foot is um Versus just always, you know, you have to trust your shoer, but always just going by what they say, like kind of analyze it a little bit. But as far as like farrier and client relationships go, like what do you prefer to see when you're like working with a client? Like obviously I ask a ton of questions, but what are some things that help, you know, the shoer, the horse owner and the vet all work together? That's... It's really a tough deal because usually with between the three, there's always an ego involved. Whether it's the horse owner, the horseshoer, or the vet. Somebody has an ego there. I'm not going to say it every time, but that is usually what makes it so hard 
to work with a group of people. And I I don't know. Just set all your egos aside and do what's best for the horse. Don't be worried about you know what somebody might think of you for asking questions or you know, and a lot of horse people's or horse people ask questions about their horse's feet to get educated which is great it's your horse you should know about the feet and i i have a lot of respect for that but there there are some that they uh they kind of stand in the way of the progress of their horse or how much their horse could get help because they've read something online or uh maybe somebody else with their horse had a setup that worked good for them but it wasn't it may not work for their horse the same way you know and I, I don't know. You just gotta get it out of your head that one size fits all, or one cure fits for every horse. And when it comes to like an issue, and you're dealing with a vet, like, do you kind of go off what the vet recommends, or do you look at X-rays and then just kind of go off what like you feel suits that foot best? Because I mean, we we know that there's sometimes some clashing, um, but the most respected shoers that I know sometimes they won't do what a vet says because they do what they feel is balancing the foot best and they'll go from there. So how do you kind of balance that? I typically just try and do what I know is best. I mean, I'm not telling anybody that's the right answer. And especially it depends on your knowledge or skill set of how much, you know, how far your abilities are going to be able to take you. But if a vet recommends something that I know is not right for that proper or for that particular case then i i can't i can't do it because at the end of the day it's that horse's well-being and my name at on the line you, mm-hmm. you know so if i know better there's no way that i could do it with a peaceful mind it's just do you get to see x-rays a lot and do you prefer to see x-rays if people could like bring them to you oh yeah x-rays are great and then what else could owners do to kind of help their shoe out? Because I've seen posts before on Facebook um, either about people, you know, complaining that their shoer doesn't shoe at night or they can't come put a shoe on right away. Like, I guess if you're going to say, like, this is my ideal client, what would you say? Because I do think that, and I will preface it with myself, I think that, Barrel racers could help themselves out getting their shoer to want to come help them. Because sometimes we can be difficult. Yeah. And that's me saying that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess what would probably rub a lot of horseshoers the wrong way is emergency cases. Because typically, you know, you're in a hurry to get to the next event or there's, there's always a time crunch. And... Your horseshoe definitely wants to help you out, but there's certain things that you could say that immediately would rub them the wrong way, and then they don't want to help you out at all. And that would, you just got to be considerate of what, you know, hey, this is what I've got going on. Maybe what can we do to, you know, or how could you help me? What would fit your schedule? And nine times out of ten, they're not going to, just leave you out on a limb to fend for yourself especially if you're 
asking them what would work for them. Because I'll, I mean, shoot, it makes me feel better at the end of the day if they could go to a rodeo or wherever they got to do that weekend rather than staying at home because their horse lost a shoe. Like, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I would rather you guys go and do what you got to do than... I ask that because obviously, like, my horses have pulled shoes, but I keep them in a pasture. Like, that's when we invested in rubber belt boots. Like, if you come to my house, we got cross ties in rubber mats (laughs) because (laughs) I used to have you shoeing outside in the sun on a level ground. So, like, those type of things make your life easier. Yeah, that's the other thing. If if you want your horse shoe to show up and, like, show up on time and not... Maybe, like, look at your shoeing area, if you could improve it. Because shoeing on unlevel ground, for one, it makes it really hard to shoe your horse properly. Because you can't see how that foot sets there, or, you know. or And especially if there's loose dirt around, you can't even... It's really hard to match up the length of your feet. But it just makes it not very enjoyable to shoe in the dirt with rocks and not level and... I don't know. Maybe that's why your shooter doesn't show up. I don't know. <laughs> well, we learn. We learn. <laughs> well, Cody, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and we will talk soon. A big thank you to our guest, Cody Morgan, for taking some time and sharing some of his information with us. Thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. If you haven't subscribed to The Money Barrel on the Patreon app or at patreon.com, check us out. A new Shortco episode has been uploaded to The Money Barrel Patreon with Ashley Schaefer after she had an awesome week at the Run at the Rose Colorado Classic races. You're going to want to check it out. Don't forget to check out The Magic Cushion. Don't let this ride stop your next. Learn more about what The Magic Cushion can do for your horse's hooves at absorbing.com. All right, everyone. Run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.